0: A popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360 degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. There's a lot of questions here. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to throw any curveballs at you. Oh, really? I thought you would after our last
1: discussion. I live by my own principles. Oh, what's that? No curveballs. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, for those that like you who have already joined, thank you so much for joining. Um just whilst you we wait for any kind of um any other joiners, please do put into chat where you're from and what you're excited to talk about today. Um and if you have any questions, I know we've got a few that have been sent in prior, um, please do just put any questions you have in chat and as um my name suggests, I'm Phil's son. and oh. uh, um, as his son, I really like putting Phil on the spot in these sessions. Um, so <laughs> I know he, he always likes to breathe a of relief <laughs> once they're done. um okay, so what, whilst you are doing that, um a couple of announcements that Eddie has uh, ensured i <laughs> I say, um so thanks, Eddie you may not have already heard or are listening to this recording on the podcast, we are launching um, the sales transformation community next month. And we've already got 20 founding members who have shared their interest in developing this community. Um, And just for context, this community aims to provide just an an area for like-minded sales professionals who believe in transforming the way and their organization approaches sales. As well as being, and this is a really key point, as well as being a, um, a safe space to ask for advice and answer any problems that you may be facing. Um, so if you want to be part of this journey, please do let us know, um, register register your interest i think eddie will be sharing the link to do so in chat um but we really want to build this community for salespeople that add value to their you know to their day-to-day lives um and the other new exciting announcement that we want to make is um we're launching in october the ilm level five coaching for sales transformation program um mm-hmm. And it's a program I'm currently on at the moment. It is a um, really fantastic way to kind of advance your skills in coaching. Um, and, and you know I know there's a lot of coaching programs out there, but this one is specifically designed for those of you that are working in sales. If you're managing a team um, to unlock their performance, I think we know that coaching is a great way to do that. Um, and this is, a, this is a great way to get an accreditation. Um, if you're a level seven student or a uh, master's student there is a way to accelerate the program so you can you know you don't have to do another 12 hours of coaching you can do an additional six hours of coaching a couple of written projects and you will get your ilm level five qualification Um so if you're interested in that do let us know Um that is that will be starting in October um so yeah, just let us know if you're interested but that's that's all from the Consali announcement front. Um, I heard those two points are of interest um but yeah let's not waste any more time and jump straight into it um so Phil, we did get a few questions um prior to this meeting we did. And- which is always great to see as we this is our i think it's our third session now the first one there weren't that many people joining us we're slowly getting a few more um and we're certainly getting a bit of engagement before we start these sessions so that's great um so first question and what kicked off your
0: passion for sales education and why was it so important to you I wonder if you asked that question. I'm not sure who it was, but uh, uh, like many things in life, it happened a bit by accident. And um, I found myself talking to someone at uh, Middlesex University about taking a research project I was doing with a client and and suggesting I turn that into a doctorate. And it was the last thing I had in my mind at the time, but I had always wanted to go to university and I'd, I'd you know, I'd never been to university before. And uh, this opportunity came around, and I had no idea it was possible to do a doctorate without doing an undergraduate or a master's degree. Uh, but there are, there are steps you can go through in order to get onto the final research part of the project, if you like, to convince the university that you've got the wherewithal to to conduct research at that level. Um, so that That's where it was sort of kicked off. But I I think that the thing that that, um, really kicked off my passion for it, well, at a personal level, I really enjoyed the degree of reflection that comes with a serious research project. And it it was obviously on a topic that I was highly interested in. So I was uh, 100% motivated (laughs) You know, to do all the reading to look up journal journal information and I and it took me into a completely new world that I knew nothing about before you know the world of of other academic research, you know exploring issues of psychology or or trust or whatever the topic might have been and I just loved going through that that process and so that ticked um a motivation at a very personal level. but what really um What I found as I was doing the research, it was was our clients getting involved in the research and the extent to which they found it interesting, Uh, to to the point that one of the uh, organizations that we were working with at the time asked if we could actually set up for them an in-house master's program, and um, there's always been this thing in sales about It being too academic, you know, people assume that if it's a a master's or a PhD, it's going to be too academic, therefore not practical enough. But I, I, you know, it's, you know, so I was worried about the attitudes of salespeople to embarking, you know, would they be prepared to embark on a two-year master's degree or a a three-year undergraduate degree as we now have got, let alone a a doctorate. Um, But... I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised at the reaction we got from the very first cohort of people that went through the master's, which was an in-house master's we designed for Hewlett-Packard. And seeing the quality of their work and the contribution that their work could make for the profession just sparked this initial passion, which then... Has resulted in something a lot bigger now. So, um, so I think that the passion is is really at a yeah personal level and at a client level. Um, but also, I just love seeing how other people respond to the masters. It's it's mm. it's incredible. And um, and now organizations are beginning to embrace it on a on a pretty uh, large scale. So. Uh, and we've seen that very much in the UK through the apprenticeship program. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean,
1: we we do find quite a few, certainly in the, the master's and the postgraduate diploma, we get we get students who join who are operating at a pretty senior level in sales, yeah. but who haven't, you know, who sort of found themselves working in sales. They haven't got a degree in things like that. And quite often, there's this um, hesitance, I guess, of can you do it if you haven't done a degree before, and you, you know it's been, you know, potentially decades since you've been in academia. Um, can, can you do it? Will they will they perform as they do in their working day to day lives in this academic world? Um, and often those are the best students, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think they are. I mean, it's a great leveler, you know, uh, embarking on a master's program. It doesn't really matter how senior you are uh, or not. Um, You are going to be assessed and measured against a set of criteria over which you have no real control of the assessment. It's controlled, if you like, by the the university and the standards that uh, are behind it. So it's a great leveler and you, you're quite right, you know, we've had senior vice presidents of sales on the master's program who are worried about their ability to be able to write academically or to do quality work. But I think that the, the, the reason, and, and by the way, the universities love salespeople because they're quite competitive. You know, they, you know people aren't con- content with just a pass, they, you know, they want to get a merit. <laughs> Um, and so the quality of the work that we're seeing through the projects that um undergraduates and postgraduates now are doing are at the highest level. And the programs that we are now running through the university are being put forward for quite important awards uh in, in the UK academic community as an exemplar of um a sort of good practice. Yeah. You know, we have incredibly high retention rates. We have really, really, uh, you know, sort of first-class honors degrees and two ones coming out of the undergraduate course. And you know, of course, now we've got—I think it's five or six students completing doctorates in sales. So it's been an incredible journey. If you if you look at it over the last few years. And I I know that we've got David Mason on the call. And uh, David, I think you've set up the Sales Managers Academy. I think based in Wales, and I I'm really glad you've joined this call. So, David, uh, I don't know if you want to comment or share a little bit what you're doing in in Wales. Is that is that okay? Can I put you on the spot a bit?
2: Uh thanks, Phil. Um, yes. Um, I I'm I. I, I... Uh, I've been around in sales and sales leadership for more years I care, care to remember. Um, I, I'm really sort of pleased that you know there's now pathways for people to actually uh, become more academic in that, with, without actually losing any of the pragmatic um, things that you need to take away from education in, in, in sales. Um, my experience, very, very bluntly, is that. Is that uh, salespeople who are thinking about continuous improvement tend to do better in their roles? Hmm.
1: Sure. David's also um, put a question in chat. Uh, David, you might, whilst Phil's putting you on the spot, <laughs> you may want to ask him what your question is.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm always curious as to um, you know what's what's on the minds of salespeople and sales managers. Uh, what's the of issues that they're thinking about? Are, are there sort of new things that, as uh, educators and supporters, we should be aware of, or is it the the the, the things that are constant? You know, how, how do I engage with my customers? You know, how do I find out what their value? Um, how do I actually you know communicate a solution which I think will help them, or, or is there other stuff these days? I, that, that's always my constant question.
0: That's yeah, a really really good question i've I've got an answer, but I also know that there are others on the call that may like to contribute yeah. uh, I don't know whether Ian Jones uh, from Johannesburg would like to comment on this question in terms of you know what managers and salespeople believe are current issues at the moment. It'd be interesting to Ian if you're online to share your your thoughts on it.
3: yeah, so thank you for the opportunity and hi everybody. Uh, yeah I, my my perspective from our communities uh, here in South Africa is that sales leaders are very sharply focused on whatever it is that can come their way, that will enable them to achieve their targets more effectively and more certainly. And whatever it is that can be demonstrated to them as being, Powerful and effective in that context is something that they want to seriously consider. No matter how innovative that may be, how far it may be from what they themselves experienced uh, in terms of what they uh, took on board as continuous improvement um, while they were in the ranks, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I see a great openness for uh, among sales leaders for. Being involved in things that will bring about performance improvement.
0: Thank you, Ian. What what, what about um, what about our graduate who's on on the call as well? It's oh, Cheryl. I know it's a question <laughs> for me. I'm going to come back <laughs> to the question. Don't worry. I'm just interested to hear what everyone else's answer is first <laughs> before I give my point of view. Cheryl's who's he's an undergraduate on the program. Do you mind if I? kind of put the you know what 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 are the issues that are concerning you at the moment in in your world
3: uh for me right now at the moment can you hear me yes
0: well we can yeah for me right now it's just um managing my time really between the course and my job being sales and out intertwining it okay that's one thing i'm focusing on the moment. (laughs) just balancing the busy busyness of life yes yeah okay well thank you for that sorry to put you on the spot a little bit with that that question um so um david sorry i wasn't i i wasn't trying to avoid answering it at all um i think that on the technology side i i i think there's some quite interesting um developments in terms of looking at the assortment of tools uh uh that will enable um, salespeople to manage their time. Coming back to Cheryl's Sh- um, Sh- Sh- point, um, and also sort of managing the business of selling, which is taking the emphasis away from um, CRM as we know it as a kind of control system, and more enabling technologies to enable salespeople to um, you know to to uh, to better advance the sales process. So and i think I think this is um it's this is an evolution beyond uh you know the 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 sales force uh and um those other sort of technologies that have been around um and I'm quite excited um about the opportunities that those technologies will bring um so uh in terms of what sales managers i are, are kind of curious about is to what extent can I leverage the tools out there to enable my selling organization to be more effective? Um, but that's within the context of a world we now live in, which is you know we're going through, uh, you know we're we're going through a sort of an economic challenge. Uh, most countries are globally. Um, what I've heard some of our clients speak about around the skills and enablement point of view is the importance of commercial and financial acumen seems to be raising its head. A, a, a lot of, a number of clients that we've spoken to have said when, you know, whilst there's a lot of growth in the market out there, people tend not to challenge. Sometimes their purchasing decisions, but when budgets are getting restricted, then there is uh a much more of a focus on cash and how that's spent and therefore the skills that are needed within the sales force need to be much more around um the commercial return on investment type conversations so so part of my i guess my response is based around you know what kind of skills seem to be important in a world which is quite challenging to operate in and part of it is around the innovation that comes through technologies that can enable people you know to do their jobs you know more more effectively. I probably haven't done the question sufficient justice. What do you think well yeah I, th- I, think, it's sort of <laughs> I think it's a very good point <laughs> you raised, and i I don't know yeah. if David would like to respond to the question as well
2: uh but- Yes, thank you, Phil. I'm encouraged by your view around the use of tech tools or the tech stack to become an enabling. Yeah. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time hearing stories around it being uh, something that gets in the way. Exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, if you can set up your um, your system um, so that um, you know, your team members see it as enabling and, and helps them do their jobs, then that, that, I think that's always a plus. Um, uh, yes, and then as far as sort of leadership is concerned, sales leaders, um, in, in increasingly um, in a world where we've gone very rapidly from zero interest rates or very low interest rates to the cost of money being now a major consideration, um, just just being able to actually understand what that means for a business and a customer you're working with. Um, yeah, so getting on top of the financial and commercial mm. event. I think it's been a bit bit of a surprise to everybody in terms of Mm. the way that now customers are thinking differently and why they're thinking differently and who's doing the thinking.
0: Yes, we we have a client in the manufacturing sector who had said that they've introduced six price increases since the Ukraine war started. And, you know, he said the first three or four, you know, customers kind of accepted um, but the final two is beginning to really hurt, and and so yes, how you how you navigate around those 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 conversations, uh, you know, I know in sales we've you know we've always talked about value you know based selling, um, but um, the simple um, discount, understanding the impact of discounting on sales volumes equations, I've found uh, many. People in sales don't, don't understand, you know, quite what the implications are. You know, if you give a 10% discount on a margin of, a gross profit margin of 25%, how much more do you need to sell in order to make the same gross profit as you did before? You know, when we ask that question in a, in a, in a sales conversation, you know, they range from 10% more, you know you know, to maybe 25, the answer is 67% more, you know, that, you know, often it's very, very few people understand, you know, that correlation between, you know, price and margin and and what the impact is on just from a a sales volume perspective. Um, So I think this is something that that we're finding increasingly important in today's market. This kind of segues quite
1: nicely to a question Steve. Um, Steve wrote, but I know is on the call actually, um, sent prior. So, Phil, how would you describe the role
0: of a sales leader as opposed to a sales manager? Before I answer this question, well, can I just thank Steve for being on the call as well? I mean, and for those of you who don't know, but Steve has been one of the Trailblazer members for setting up the apprenticeship scheme, yeah, and so um, I just want to thank Steve for his involvement in the professionalisation of sales initiative, and I'm delighted, Steve, you're you know that you're connected and um, participate a lot in our LinkedIn posts and so on. Um, but coming back to your question, the role of a sales leader, as opposed to a, well, I think the sales manager is is much more sort of operational and. I mean, sadly, I would say that a lot of sales managers tend, tend to spend their time behind spreadsheets and looking at, at pipeline and forecasting, and, and they, that's a, a really important part of what they do. Um, they don't spend enough time coaching, and they don't spend enough time looking at other, other parts of enablement. But essentially, the, I think the role of the sales manager is, is more tactical, it is more operational um whereas you know the sales leader is is more strategic um maybe more connected with issues of setting policy um looking at territory management perhaps um selling structures different go to market models the balances between sort of inside sales capabilities and field sales capabilities um also, you know, getting involved in important customer meetings, not necessarily, you know, when deals are to be closed, but deals that are at an early stage of, you know, of the sales cycle. So uh, for me, that, that uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a significant difference, you know, between the role of the, the sales manager and the role of the sales leader. An interesting question is, which do we think is the most difficult of those two roles? <laughs> and I think that the role of the sales manager is really difficult. I think it's quite hard. And I, I think it's quite hard for a number of reasons. A lot of people who get into sales management roles, as we know, are sort of promoted because they've been the top salespeople. And they really haven't been um, introduced to uh, you know the practices and development that's required for being a great sales manager um and yeah they're you know they're very much involved where the rubber hits the road you know it's you know they they play such an important part in in you know directing the activities of the um the account execs on the road you know towards achieving the all-important targets and they're often under huge amount i mean everyone's under pressure in sales to perform um, but the, the the I'm not saying that the role of sales leader isn't isn't challenging. Oh, of course it's challenging because it's about it, it's about strategy. But they 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 you know they're they're normally the people that put the pressure on the sales managers to get the results done. Um, and as in in some cases they you know they they can be quite hard in how they drive sales performance, but. Um, yeah, their role is, is, is to be able to look at the longer term vision, making sure. I mean, we have this, we have this, you know, saying that the role of a manager is to use the resources to develop the business of today and to develop the resources in order to generate the business of the future. And there's a tension between those two roles. Sales manager is more focused on what do we do to get the sales in of today. Maybe eighty percent of their work directed in that sense, and twenty percent is on future thinking, uh, development, and enabling. Whereas the sales leader, perhaps the other way around, eighty percent of their time is thinking about the future, and twenty percent of their time is actually looking at at um, you know sort of the, the 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 short term. That's my view. I don't know um, if if Steve is 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 um, able to kind of share his point of view as well
4: yeah um can
0: you hear me yes i can steve nice to have you oh, on
4: the... nice to see you again phil so yeah it, i'm a, you know uh, you can't see my picture but i um, i think david said uh, he's been doing this uh, more years than he cares to remember i think i might have been doing it for a bit longer than that actually but <laughs> i've always worked on i've always worked on the basis of simplicity um you know uh, yeah i work on the basis that selling is simple it's situations that are complex mm. uh, in the context of, of sales leadership uh, and sales management uh, I, I differentiate it with uh, with two words really uh, and they are what and how uh, you know sales managers are much are very concerned about the what's of selling. Yeah. Uh, hence your comment about uh, CBI spreadsheets and managing numbers yeah, uh, and sales leaders are more interested in the house. Yeah, so how are we going to? How are we going to increase our sales? You know, what are what mm. are you know what are what what do people think about their own performance? How can we help them? You know, and yeah. coaching is, is a big thing in that, a really big thing in that, um, because it it is so important, uh, but it's got to be sustained. Um, we tend to sales managers will tend to if you like do some coaching uh, but it will be it will be topic related rather than if you like um the whole skill side related uh, and you have to keep continually reinforce i've been doing some work uh, uh, with a customer on, on this very uh, very issue about how do you make things stick um i mm. think it was neil rackham who invented spin said that you know 92 percent of sales training was lost within 32 days unless mm-hmm. it's reinforced you know uh, whether whether or not neil rackham is right you know, that i don't know um but certainly my experience shows me uh, says to me that uh, if you look at people who go on courses that unless it is sustained in some way or form which is the role of the sales manager or the sales leaders uh, it, is really mm. that if you don't reinforce it it will definitely get lost uh, so in any investment you make in that will be uh, will be lost uh, as well. So I think that you know I, I say I differentiate mm. between the what and the how, uh, and also go back to the three the three things that a sales manager has to do. And once again, it's very simple. Sales managers and leaders are concerned about three things. One is their customers. Yeah. So understanding their customers, you going on calls which are unrelated to closing business. Uh, you know, creating yeah. this, if you like, this uh, uh, sense of uh, intimacy with the customer is really important um, and gives you a lot of brownie points. The other is, is the, the the second one is, is it, are the people, the, you know, the only resources a sales manager has are his, are his people, you know. Mm-hmm. And the last thing, last thing is the numbers. Um, and I think that if you spend uh, as much of your time as possible with your people and your customers, uh, the numbers are more of an output rather than a job. And it's it's worked for me for the last uh, several years, uh, and I stick with it now. So that's my view on it. Thank you, Steve. Yeah.
0: What percentage of managers, um, oops, I remember, I'm not sure if this is the right question, actually, you know, it's sort of. Coach in in the way that you think they should be coached. Uh, you know, how many managers do you, you know, do you feel really understand coaching and do it?
4: Um, not a lot,
0: I'd say. Um, mm. Because
4: once again, it goes back to the the comment you made earlier. Phil was, you know, most sales managers get into their jobs because they were good salespeople. Yeah. Um, I got I got to be a sales a sales manager because I wasn't a particularly great salesperson. Uh, but I was good at working with people, uh, and that's yeah. why I was made a sales manager. And I think it's it's that difference because if you promote your best salesman uh, to uh, to sales manager, uh, you lose two you lose two people. You lose your best yeah. salesperson, and you and you haven't got a sales manager. So you've like you know a single move uh, loses you two people, um, probably two of the most most important people in an organization. Yeah, it's coming from a background of. Of, of, of understanding what what motivates people, and how you can how you you know how you can create the envi- environment where people are self motivated. Um, because come the end of the day, the only person who can motivate me is me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I I would expect for someone to, if I was back on back on, back treading board, so to speak, I think that I would. Uh, and look for someone, a manager who mm-hmm. could make me feel good about what I do and how I do it. Um, and that comes from helping me do my job. And that's not going out to close the big deals. It's about equipping me uh, with the knowledge and skills that I need to do it. You know? uh, and a lot of that would come through coaching.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other statistics that's rather alarming, and I don't know if this is an indictment of leadership or or management is the percentage of salespeople in organizations who hit quota, who hit targets. Um, and you know, the figures are quite staggering. Sometimes it's sort of, I think 40% of a client, uh, 40% of a very large sales force hitting targets with, with, with an org- organization that we're speaking mm-hmm. to recently. And, um, you wonder whether at the very senior level, it's just a numbers game, you know, you just throw enough salespeople at a problem and, you know, 40% of them will will sell and uh, maybe help achieve the organization's objectives. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if 60% don't. Um, You know, I've always slightly struggled with that concept, to be honest. Um, But I do know organizations who operate that way, as opposed to leadership teams who judge their success as a leader by the percentage of their sales teams who hit targets and quotas. You know, unless 100% of a team hits target or gets to the winner's circle, they don't feel as though they've done their job as a, a manager or a leader. So, yeah, they're, they're very different perspectives on best practice according to the culture and the types of organizations that, uh, that, 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 that we find ourselves working with at times. Um, yeah, I
4: agree. I agree yeah. entirely. I think that, uh, you know, a sales leader or manager, uh, should only be happy if his if his whole team are making their yeah. whole team are yeah. uh, achieving targets uh, yeah and 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 you have to ask yourself the question here if I'm paying a salesperson you know a fifty grand basic and a fifty grand bonus and they're happy earning seventy thousand pounds a year yeah uh, is that a good use of money and the answer to that is not really not yeah really yeah okay. Great. Will, sorry. Great. Back to
1: questions. So Ian, um, Ian Jones, thanks for your question, Um, submitted this. So if I can cast your mind back to the last AMA when you were talking about uh, the mindset work that is transforming the performance of the England cricket team. Oh, great, talking about cricket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And in particular, the value in mindset change for sports people and how it's you know, easy to detect. Individuals and teams win much more frequently when they lose when they have the right mindset. So are we safe from promising sales leaders that sales transformation based on mindset change will result in more deals and fewer losses?
0: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the, the great thing about sport is the fact you can see it sort of happening in front of you. It's so obvious where you've got, you know, the same set of players playing under a new coach or a new manager, and, you know, they're, they're achieving a sort of very, very different results. And, you know, that, that that that's not a skill issue or a competence issue. That's, that's down to, I guess, strategy in part. You know, we're going to play this style of game, um, a mindset you know um and the mindset is you know is one that's also supported with something we've spoken about before on these um these AMAs I think it's about the psychological safety allowing people the space to know that if you are playing to this plan and you are you're out there to play an expansive style of cricket it's okay if you get out first ball you know it's okay you know we expect that will happen and so uh, genuinely allowing or creating that sense of, look, we're playing to this game plan. Uh, you know, we hope you can score 150 runs, but you might not. (laughs) Um, uh, it's, you know, it's, you know, everyone's in it together and we know what we're trying to do. and, And we've seen that in the transformative, uh, sort of cricket team, uh, that, uh, we spoke about before. I know from the uh, work that we have done on mindsets with control groups in sales that the same applies, um, and it may not apply over four or five days of a test match series um, because sometimes sales cycles take much longer to uh, to fulfil. Um, but uh, I know that where we have worked, um, particularly in my you know my doctorate. Um, thesis was working with different control groups, exploring this notion of mindset and measuring the close ratios and cost of sale ratios uh, and market share ratios across teams that worked in Western Europe and Central Europe um, in a market that were, were fairly similar in terms of opportunity. Um, And seeing an extraordinary difference uh, in sales performance over that period of time. Um, And I've I've maybe cited this uh, previously, but when we started working with this community of um, sales, there were about 200 salespeople um, in this sort of two groups, if you like, Um, and the close ratios at the time were something like one in fifteen uh, for winning for 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 a winning sort of reasonably sized deals, some very large. And by the time that we finished the program after two and a half years, and this is published, you know, this is this you know this is published evidence and uh, and so on. The close ratios with with were seventy two percent. and um, We contrasted it with the other control group where we hadn't done any intervention around mindset and we simply sort of tracked their performance as business as usual. And they did improve their win ratios, you know, from one in 15, they ended up with a a ratio of 33% at the end of uh, the two and a half years. So from a control grouping point of view, it was an absolute test that mindsets can really impact performance. And for me, it, it completely changed the way that we started to approach the way we develop salespeople and we develop managers as well. Um, it's much easier, I think, to deal with a sales team where the mindsets are in the right place, um, but perhaps where the skill sets aren't where you want them to be. Because it's much easier to work on developing skills and competence than it is changing someone's mindset. Um, so I'd much rather get the mindsets in place as the sort of foundation block of any, um, any improvement that you might want to make in a selling organization, knowing that, yeah, if people are heads are in the right space, then you can do amazing things with people. You know, rather than those organizations which have incredibly competent people, but they're just demotivated and there's toxic culture that kind of exists that stops them from thriving. Um, But we've seen many instances of managers going in, inheriting a group of people who have had brilliant results and uh, using a different type of management approach, completely transforming the the team performance. Um, so we have many, you know, many examples of managers who've, who've, who've made this kind of dramatic transformation built around uh, mindsets. And I think a lot of it is about growth mindset, you know, some people, they won't change and uh, they have a fixed mindset as opposed to growth. So growth mindset is incredibly important. But then it's also working on the specific sales mindsets that we, um, you know, very close to our hearts here at at Consalia that we know uh, will produce results. So I don't know if I've answered the question from Ian, but hopefully so.
1: Thank you very much for that question, Ian. Um for, I think we've answered it. Uh, and to summarise, absolutely, it's important, isn't it? Um, it is. You've got to have the right mindset. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is this is the last question, and actually, again, it follows on quite nicely from Ian's question. Um, this was sent anonymously. Um, so just to give you a bit of context, their company is going through a bit of a transition after a merger. Um, But the new head of sales strategy is a real strong believer in skills training. They've just rolled out MedPick to the entire workforce, but they know in their gut that this this is the wrong approach. It's being rolled out in a way where it treats all salespeople like we're not interested in doing the right thing for the customer and for the company. So the question is, how should I go about approaching this within my organisation? Um, and then they follow up and say they find that this approach is quite outdated. They they feel and they're a firm believer in transforming the values and belief systems. And um, which I think they uh, I think they've read your book, Phil. Okay. So, um, yeah. How would you advise them dealing with a you know, sort of new culture that is being imposed on them after going through a merger. Uh,
0: the, this is, uh, yeah, quite quite a quite a tricky. You know, it's quite a tricky question as far as the person that asked it is concerned. So essentially, he's working in a in a in a selling organisation and having a, a new initiative imposed. You know, by yeah, by a new head of sales and. Not believing in it, you know, that I think the phrase that he used, I know in my gut that this is the wrong approach, and um, feels that it's going against, he feels that this approach is going against the doing the right thing for the customer and for the company. Um, it's quite, quite a tricky, <laughs> I'd say quite tricky one because I think what we what we often find is that if we start talking about personal values and organizational values and w- when you've got a difference between the two when when you've got um, you've got conflict, you know if the way an organization is being led does not conform to a personal set of values and belief systems that you have, uh, I think you've got a simple choice: you can either stay and and recognize that you know the average tenure of a senior sales director is about eighteen months, isn't it? So can you stay there for eighteen months for a new director to come on board, and no doubt there'll be a new initiative rolled out that perhaps will be more in, in tune to their values and belief systems. Yeah, do you be patient or do you go at the end of the day? I I I, I, I think that's the ultimate choice, and it, it's a difficult situation if if you can't go for you know various reasons, personal reasons, you. You, you, you can't leave the organization. But I think that what we've seen is, um, you know perhaps it's not quite the same example, but with the great resignation, we have seen a lot of salespeople leaving well-established roles and are looking for other jobs. And I think a lot of people have been questioning, what is the purpose behind the organization for whom we work? And that's become important to them. In a in a recent uh, master's project, in fact, I think it was uh, we now have a podcast on it, um, Eddie, that um, uh, was developed by Simon Wheeler, you know, who's now at Salesforce. Um, you know, did his whole master's dissertation on what what makes people hang around, you know, what what keeps people engaged with an organization, and it's it's very much around. It's less around money and bonuses and salary uh, than it is around uh, engaging with uh, organizations who want to develop themselves as people. You know, development is really high up there. In fact, from his research, it's the most important uh, criteria above, uh, um, you know, it comes above salary and it becomes, you know, obviously you need to have an income that you can afford to live your, your, you know, your life on. But actually what's, what's also important is this idea of personal um, development as a, as a, as a means of, of getting people to stick in this question. You know, there is a development program, but he simply doesn't believe in it. You know, he doesn't believe it's right and he doesn't like the way in which salespeople are being treated. So, um, he has a fundamental issue with the initiative that's being rolled out. Um, how would you approach the organization? It's a new director, It's a new manager. Can you challenge this person right now? You know if it's new? Possibly not a great career move, I would suggest. Um, but maybe wait six months, you know, to see how the lay of the land lies and whether or not there is any evidence that medpic actually produces performance and perhaps it is you know something that that does improve the performance of the business in which case his point of view might be changed um but i think he's he's not just commenting on medpic it's the manner in which it's being rolled out that he's questioned and so you know that suggests there's something about the values and belief systems of the new sales director that's not in alignment with his personal values and therefore, you know, you may just need to sit it out or look for a new job. I don't know what, what I mean, lead, the other leaders I would mean, say.
1: Just, I think, being aware of any change that is happening to you mm. is a really important factor. And um, we often talk about reflective practice yeah. um, to understand change and how you therefore respond to change. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think is, there's always a bit of uncertainty when a company goes through a merger and there's two, like, you know, there could be clashes um, that happen. And how you respond to that um, it needs to come from a basis of a, a, an acute self awareness. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly a, a, a really tricky situation that you, you know, uh, this person finally shines themselves in and um yeah i mean would you would you recommend um you no know, one of, one of the other things is that i always think is um an interesting approach as someone where change is happening to them is as stephen covey once said do would you would you rather be acted on or would you rather act and mm-hmm. you know considering that this new cell head or sales strategy is coming into a new organization they're going through they must be having a lot of uncertainties in, in mm-hmm. how they approach things could you be that person's first follower because that first follower is often um really impactful and therefore you can drive you can establish a relationship with that person and that and then perhaps try and influence from within if they have that kind of opportunity to do so Mm -hmm. could be a good um, yeah could be be a good approach Um, but yeah difficult really difficult one Um, thanks Phil we did actually have one more question um, that's just been submitted on chat from Shirooz I'm just trying to uh, see eddie just pinged me ah yes is this is a this is a good one to to
0: end this ama on is cold calling still effective in 2023 yeah is cold calling still effective it doesn't it doesn't work that well with us does it you know when we get people cold cold calling up us for for different things and um and I think probably in the last year, I've accepted one person that that's cold called and had a conversation with them. And in that scenario, that person happened to have called me on a topic that I was beginning to take more interest in. And so I thought, it's it's okay. Yeah, I will... I'll take this call and probably directed them to Eddie, and Eddie probably, sh- sh- you know, shot me for passing over the uh, the call over over to him, but I just thought it would be of sufficient interest for us to explore a little bit further. So I guess if you're talking about a numbers game, you know, the more, you know, I was always taught when I first started sales that I would have to do a hundred. Um, uh, spins of the phone as we had then in order to get, um, one appointment and that we could, uh, generate, it, it was possible to do 120 spins a day, though I rarely did that. Um, and there was no doubt Then it was very tough to begin with because you are, you know, getting a lot of rejection. And uh, but over time you start to build up follow up calls and it becomes slightly warmer. Um, I think, but your question was in two thousand and twenty three, as opposed to when I had my experience of doing it. I'm not sure. I think I'm not. You know, I, I think there's a, a case, obviously a case for cold calling, but I think that marketing need to play um, a big big role. In creating uh, a warmth of lead, if you like, that could then be followed up by salespeople, and uh, I think this is where sales productivity can can be improved. I don't know, um, uh, Shiraz, if you want to kind of comment on your on the question. Is it? It sounds as though this is what you're doing right now. If Shiraz is is on the online. Do you want to comment on it? It's a really tough part of the job. <laughs> yeah, I think, like you said, if someone's looking into their product and sales already, then it's
1: quite easy. But if they're not, then it's just rejection, 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 which is
3: mm. not really. And no, that's the phone anymore these days. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Maybe it's It's much more difficult,
0: isn't it? You know, they're not company switchboards and and you somehow need to get hold of someone's mobile phone. And I always get irritated (laughs) when I get someone calling me on my mobile phone that they somehow got. And I don't know who it is um, as well. So I I think it is much more difficult. Um, uh, So I think that the process of actually finding those, those warm leads is where marketing comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, to create an environment will what do you think yeah yeah i also think when you as you were kind of
1: talking about spinning those dials back when you were cold calling (laughs) yeah that you didn't have many other channels of communication whereas in today's world there are so many different channels right yes you've got you've got the phone you've got email and there's you know you've got linkedin you've even WhatsApp, you've got um, you know plethora of different tools that nowadays salespeople can can utilise, um, and you've got to utilise everything. Um, yeah. I quite like it when you know, certainly with some of the people that I engage with, when we establish a relationship and we get to the point where we can just start WhatsApping each other. I, I feel like that's when you know you've got a really good relationship with that person. Um because mm-hmm. it's 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 so instantaneous, but then they might be really slow to mm-hmm. slow to pick up their phone for for example. Uh, I know that if someone just completely cold called me, um, I would wanna know about the context of that call before mm-hmm. i picked it up. Um yeah. so I think cold calling sure is, is is challenging but i think it's it's one of the tools that you can use as a salesperson and you can be you should be thinking creatively about the different channels you can use as well to reach out to people yeah yeah i do use linkedin and um other speakers but i just think you yeah, use everything but I just yeah it's, it's called yeah yeah they say there's um for a completely cold prospects, you there's like tw- I think it's 12 touch points um before before you kind of move on. Um because after 12 if they still haven't responded, then uh then they're probably not interested. Or <laughs> well, they'll just pick up the phone to tell you they're not interested. Thanks, thanks for the you. question. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for and thanks for the answer. And thank you all for taking part and um yeah thanks Phil, for all of
0: your insights that's right great in. no it's great to have um yeah david and steve and all of you on the call charles as well and Ian as well and Ian yeah from, from south africa. africa um and uh and look looking forward to the next ama great thank you all have thank you day. all yeah cheerio bye bye-bye